Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 14, please. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1047 in that Bible. We are continuing through our series that we have called Christ Stories, Parables for Today, looking at the teaching of Jesus and uh, not just what did he say, but what does it mean for us? How do we actually take it and apply it to our lives? Our key verse overarching the series has been 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever would call themselves a follower of Jesus must actually make an attempt to follow after Jesus. And we understand that nobody does this perfectly, but that we have reoriented our life to say, I'm going to live Jesus' way. I'm going to walk that path. And so we've been looking as we reflect on that verse uh, so what does that look like? And a good way to start to go there is say, well, what did Jesus actually teach us? And so that's why we're spending some time in these parables. You may have seen the story in the news. It was in the news again this week. Uh, this year in the NBA championship, the Golden State Warriors won. And so uh, anytime a, team, a major sports team in the States wins, typically they get invited to the White House. And it's just an honor to go and you meet with the president. And so uh, Golden State Warriors were terrible for a long, long time. Uh, they've been doing pretty good the last number of years. There's a little bit of a dynasty going on. And so they have been to the White House before when they have won the championship. And so there's the team meeting with President Obama. That's Steph Curry right to the right of President Obama, uh, all-star, born-again Christian, very active in charity and different things. And so when the Golden State Warriors won this year, they were invited to the White House as they normally would be by the president. And Steph Curry was in a bit of a dilemma uh, because as an African-American, as a Christian, he was just struggling with his conscience about some of the stuff that was coming out of the Trump White House and comments that were made and, and things towards immigrants and things. And so he just made a comment uh, in an interview where he basically just said, I'm kind of struggling over whether to go or not. Uh, and that sort of ignited a bit of a firestorm of, you know, there's just sort of generally a sense that, you know, when the president invites you, you come. Uh, it's not about politics. It's not about agreement. It's that's the president and you honor the seat. And some felt very strongly that way. Others felt on the other side like, well, he's got uh, maybe some legitimate concerns or questions. And so he just said, I'm, I'm struggling with whether to go or not. It's kind of tough for me. Uh, so President Trump heard that, responded uh, on Twitter, uh, going to the White House is considered a great honor for a championship team. Stephen Curry is hesitating, therefore invitation is withdrawn. So no one's allowed to come now from the team to the White House. And so then that ignites a debate about, you know, is President Trump kind of justified? Is, is Steph Curry dishonoring the office? And President Trump is, of course, polarizing. Uh, even in our church, there are people who really love him and people who really hate him. So I don't want to reflect on, well, what would you do if the president invited you to the White House because you might miss my point? Let's look at it this way. What if the queen invited you to Buckingham Palace? She's not polarizing. Look at her. She's adorable. She's an old grandma lady. She's wearing a hat. Culture has said, ladies, you don't really need to wear hats anymore. And the queen said, no, I'm good, actually. I'll keep, keep rocking this thing. So the queen is not nearly as polarizing. She is our head of state, technically in Canada. It's a bit of a formality and a tradition because we are a democracy, but uh, she is our sovereign still as a former colony of the crown. And so if the queen invited you to dinner at Buckingham Palace, you would probably see that as an honor. If you hate the queen, the problem might be you. 
Uh, and so if we are uh, invited, we would take that as that honor, right? And, and how incredible. And I, you know what? I'm going to rearrange my plans in order to be there. Uh, and I'm going to make that a priority. And, and so there's this honor that the queen has extended an invitation. And I want us just to have that in the back of our heads as we go through our text today. We're in Luke chapter 14, and we were in Luke chapter 14 last week as well. Last week, we did the parable of the banquet seats. And so this is sort of part two. It's a continuation of the same chapter and the same story. Last week, just by quick recap, if you missed it, Jesus is at dinner at the house of a prominent Pharisee, a prominent religious leader, and he notices at the dinner uh, that people are kind of jockeying for the best seat in the house. They are looking for the seats of honor. And as Jesus Jesus sees that happening, he uses it as kind of a teaching moment, and he teaches us, as we looked at last week, about embracing humility, don't seek honor, seek service, seek the lowest place, uh, and then he also talked about, and by the way, don't just invite your friends to your house, right? Open your table, open up your circle, and so where there are people who don't have a place to go, where there are people who are maybe on the outside, uh, we said last week, there should never be a lonely person if there is a Christ follower nearby, because as followers of Jesus, we are to welcome everybody to, to join with us and to sit with us and be a part of life with us. And so this is the same dinner happening as we jump into the verses today. It's the, it's the next phase of the dinner. So Jesus has just told his parable about choosing humility and opening up your table. And let's start in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So Jesus is continuing the dinner conversation and, uh, and is using it as a teaching moment. So they're sitting at a banquet while this is happening. And, and Jesus often does this when he's teaching. It's like, oh, there's a fig tree. I'm going to use this to teach about something. Hey, here's a fish. I'm going to use the fish to make a point. So he's at this dinner table, and he's using dinner table as this great uh, sort of metaphor in two different ways. And so uh, as he's talking about this, this whole conversation starts with one of the guys sitting near him saying, uh, well, how blessed is the one who gets to eat at the feast in the kingdom? of God. And that's a metaphor that gets used throughout the Gospels, throughout the New Testament, this idea that heaven is going to be like a big wedding celebration feast. Uh, and you've probably been to some weddings in your day, uh, and some are more fun than others, if we're being honest, but uh, a wedding in its best form is, is a gathering of loved ones. It's a celebration. There is laughter. There is joy. There are toasts. There is dancing. There is celebration through and through. And so the Bible says heaven is going to be like that. Heaven is going to be like a big wedding party. And so when this guy is starting off this conversation, he doesn't really know he's about to trigger another parable, but just saying, wow, how blessed is the one who gets to be in on that party? 
How blessed is the one who gets to celebrate with God in eternity? How blessed is the one who gets to participate in the coming together and the joy and the feasting and the celebration? That's, that's amazing. That would be amazing to be a part of that. And in response to that statement, Jesus jumps in to this parable and actually so says, you would think everyone would be really excited about that, but here's a story that's going to show you another side of that. And so as we've gone through these parables the last number of weeks, we have talked about, uh, just as we look at the examples that Jesus sets for us in these stories, that we as Christ followers, we are called to be a loving people. We are called to be a sacrificial people. We are called to be a forgiving people. Last week we talked about we are called to be a welcoming people, and this week we're talking about we are called to be an inviting people. Because God has invited us to come and feast with him and in eternity, and we are called to invite others to come and join the party as well. So an invitation has been sent out. This whole parable is really a story of the gospel. An invitation has been issued by the king. Verse 16, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come for everything is now ready. So again, the banquet is being used as this picture of heaven, eternity, life with God. And so God has prepared this for us. Heaven has been prepared for us and the invitations have gone out. And they have gone out, uh, we'll get to, back to this in a second, first to the Jewish people and then to the rest of the world. We will come back around to that. But an invitation has been given. And when there's important things happening in life, you send out an invitation. If your birthday party is coming up, you don't just say, well, I hope someone shows up. But you, no, you send out deliberately an invitation so people know when, they know how to get there, they know why it's happening. When we have a wedding, when we have a baby, when we have a, even a Super Bowl party or an Oscar party, whatever, when we have a celebration, we invite people. And so God has prepared eternity and has said, you're invited to come join and it's not just something you'll get to experience later. You'll actually start to experience a taste of eternity right now. And you're invited to come and sit at God's table. You don't have to wander through life on your own anymore. You're invited to come and feast with God. You're invited into the family of God. You're invited to come and have your sins forgiven. You're invited to come and know the Lord and walk with him. You're invited to eternity with him forever. The invitation has gone out. It is the picture of the gospel that God in heaven has said, you are invited, and he sent it out to the whole world. For God so loved the world. The invitation is for anyone who would respond. And so the invitation goes out, and it's just an invitation, but we acknowledge that it's an invitation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, this is just one of those verses that every Christian should know. It says, for by grace you are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works. It's not from your own good deeds, so that no one can boast. You are not saved through working your way into heaven. You are not saved by impressing God. It is by grace you are saved through faith, by his mercy as you put your trust by faith in his mercy and grace. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. I had the first service do this, so say it with me. It is the gift of God. You don't earn it. You don't do it by your good efforts. That would be a labor and a wage. It's not a labor and a wage. It's a gift. You don't suffer your way into the kingdom. That would be something that you're doing. It is the gift of God. 
Release to the world. The invitation is, hey, there's a free gift here available. Everyone is invited. The cost of admission is free because Jesus paid for it for you already. So you get in on his good works. You get in on his grace and mercy. So it is an invitation. We don't earn our way into eternity. We don't invite or force our way into the banquet. We don't suffer our way into God's good graces. We receive the gift that he has given. It is the gift of God given to the people of God. And so the gospel call goes out. And this is the, the good news that gets denounced, is that the price has been paid for you. Admission is free. You are all invited to come and sit at God's table now and for all eternity. You are invited to come. And that is the message that has been shared from the moment Jesus got to earth and then even before that foreshadowed through prophets. But the call has gone out. And so as this uh, parable starts, again, it starts with a man just sort of making a, a comment of, wow, how blessed is the one who gets to sit at that table. Blessed is the one who gets to, to join in the feast. Blessed is the one who gets to walk with God in eternity. And Jesus tells this parable almost as if to say, well, yes, blessed, but not everybody is going to want to do that. Not everybody is going to see it as a great blessing. And so in our story and in our lives, we can all make excuses when it comes to God. We can all make seemingly reasonable excuses. Like the, the things that start to come up in the story, starting in verse 18, they all alike begin to make their excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Like those are, are not totally ridiculous reasons to, to miss a dinner. And yet the problem is it's, it's the king who's issued the invitation. Right? Like, if I'm on my honeymoon and, and Prime Minister Trudeau wants to have lunch, I mean, you might say, I'll, I'll wait till I get back. But, I mean, if the queen says, hey, can you put off that business decision for a day so that we can have a dinner, right? Like, you might make that a priority. And so it's just the normal stuff of life is creeping up, right? I got business stuff, I'm getting married. Like, those are not wrong things. But in the case of our story, they excused themselves right out of the blessing that was being offered to them. They excused themselves right out of, of this amazing thing that the master was doing for them. And, you know, there are, are those of us maybe here and we are, we're not walking with Jesus. We're just checking him out. And that's amazing. And we're glad that you're here. Uh, and as we all have, you know, responded or not to the invitation that God has offered, sometimes when the answer is no, uh, we have come up with our own excuses. Of, I'm not really sure about this or I, there's lots of religions in the world. And we come up with things that it might seemingly be reasonable. And even for those of us who have said yes, right? We've gotten the invitation. We've RSVP'd yes, right? We've sent it back and we are going. We are feasting with God. Even in our walk with God, there are excuses that come up in our life. And, and the number one excuse, I think, for most Christians is, I'm just so busy, right? Are you using your gifts to bless others? Ah, I wish I could do it more. I'm just so busy. Are we reading our Bible? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we making it on Sundays? Oh, I'd make it on more Sundays. The kids got hockey. It's just, and the excuses start to, to creep in. And so we're all guilty of this, I think. And, and we all have the tendency to do this or the capability anyway. Uh, when my kids, who are young, uh, don't do something, the excuses start rising right away, right? Matt, did you clean your room? Uh, no, but Kaylee made that mess. 
And so the excuses come on up. And, you know, when they're kids, you, there's a certain amount of grace. But you go, man, if we're still doing that at 15, 20, 25, 30, 40, right? Like, we, we don't want to be people of excuses. We want to own our behavior and acknowledge that stuff and, and, and do what we're supposed to do or do what we are called to do. And so where we can all make excuses when it comes to Jesus, even if we are saved, even if we are walking with him, is to, to just take a look at ourselves and say, so where am I making excuses? Even seemingly reasonable ones, but excuses that are pulling me away from Jesus, that are pulling me away from community, that are pulling me away from what I'm supposed to be doing. Because we're all busy, and that's the most common you know, excuse of all. We're busy, 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 busy. We've got job, we've got family, we've got hobbies, we've got activities, we've got a million things going on. And those might not be unreasonable excuses, except in our story today, these people excuse themselves out of the blessing of God. And even if we are, are already Walking with Jesus, we can make that same mistake where the busyness, the stress, the craziness of life, we excuse ourselves right out of his best, where there is available to us a deeper walk and more peace and more joy and more healing and more freedom, but we make our excuses and so we never get there. So to be honest with ourselves and take a look at our lives and say, where am I making excuses? Even seemingly reasonable ones in my walk with him as I start to learn, you know, what am I called to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to be serving? How am I supposed to be sacrificing? How am I connecting with him? How am I changing and being transformed? Let's not make our excuses so that we excuse ourselves right out of the blessing. The people in this parable, uh, they excuse themselves right out of the invitation, ultimately, and we see some of the heart of God in that the king wants a full banquet in this story. The king wants a full house, right? I've invited people. They won't come. Go invite some more people. They came, but there's still room. He says, I want my house full. The grace and mercy of God are humongous. Scripture says he's not willing that any should perish. He wants everybody to come to know him. He wants everybody seated at the table. So verse 21 says, the owner of the house became angry as the excuses are rolling in, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. There is still room. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Someone said to me after that first service, hey, that last line there, maybe Trump's a little more Christ-like than we thought, uh, withdrawing the invitation. And I said, maybe. Um, and we'll come back to this again. But, uh, you know, there's this picture in this story that anyone listening at the time would have heard. Luke has a big heart for the Gentile people. And we think Luke very well could have been a Gentile. We're not quite sure. But a Gentile is just anyone who's not Jewish. So virtually every author of the Bible is Jewish, with the exception maybe of Luke. But Luke in the, the book, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, pays a lot of attention to the Gentiles. And so there is something in this story where the invitation to the wedding was given to the Jewish people first. They were invited. They were the ones who descended from the prophets. They were the ones whose who's, was the law of God. And so they were invited, and many of them said no, right? Many of them rejected Jesus. And so from there, the gospel was released then to the Gentiles. And as you put all of Scripture together, you see this is actually something God knew and planned the whole time. That the people of God, Israel, was offered it first. They said no, so the apostles 
left and began to spread it amongst the Gentiles, and it's all going to come around full circle again, and all Israel will be saved by the end, the, the word of God says. And so even in this last line, you know, they won't get a taste of the banquet. That's not true in the picture. That's just part of the story. Uh, that's don't, don't draw conclusions about God from that line, uh, because even the Jewish people will still have a chance to respond to the gospel. So there is something of that going on here for sure, that, that the people of God were invited, they rejected, and so the gospel has gone elsewhere. Others have been invited in their place. But there's something in here, uh, and it's not something we like to talk about as much, but there is something of the anger of God in this passage. And it's much easier and more encouraging and more hopeful to focus on his love and his grace and his mercy. And I do think the Bible really does talk about those things way more than it talks about his anger. I think that's, that's probably not debatable. But there is this stream throughout both Testaments that, that there is an anger that God has towards sin. There is something in his sense of justice that gets angry at injustice, especially when injustice is displayed towards others and towards the weak and towards the helpless. And those, don't have any, those who don't have anybody to fight for them. And so there is anger involved in this story. And, and we need to acknowledge that, that God is angry at our sin. We should be able to say we are sinners and God is angry at sin, just like a parent gets angry at disobedience. And typically the reason a parent gets angry at disobedience is because a parent says we have put rules in place to keep you safe. Not because we're jerks, but because we love you. And when you break those rules, you move into a place where you are not safe. And so there is an anger that a parent can have towards a kid who breaks the rules. And it's weirdly an anger based on love. It's an anger that comes out of a parental concern. But there is an anger that God has towards sin, but he has also graciously given us a way out of that anger, a way to get away from it. Jesus would say in John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son, whoever trusts in Jesus, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And so the anger of God is there for sin, but there is a way out, and the way out is we grab a hold of Jesus, and we say, I'll take the mercy and grace that you offer. And as we do that, the anger of God gets removed. And so there is a, an offering there. The way to not make the master of this story angry was come to the banquet, right? It was the fact that they rejected that that stirred up the anger of the master in this story. And so the master says, fine, if they are not going to come, my house will still be full. So go out. And the first group he says is, go out and find the, the crippled and the lame. Go and find the, the ones who are on the outside. And we talked a little bit about this last week. Go and find the ones who don't have someone to, to lean on, don't have someone to fight for. Go and find the ones who've been rejected and who are lonely and who are hurting and who are cast aside. Go find the ones on the margin and invite them to come in to my feast. And so they do that. They go out and they find that. And we see just once again, like last week, the heart that God has for those who are lonely and for who, those who are hurting and those who are broken and it's our job to reach out to those in our lives who we see who are in that place. But even then, the house isn't full yet. And so then he says, go everywhere. Go down all the roads. You keep going and keep inviting and keep bringing people to the table. You keep telling everyone there's a feast available for you for free. And let's fill this house right up. And so we've talked about last week being a welcoming people. But we are also called to be an inviting people. 
that every single one of us who follows after Jesus is here because someone else told you about Jesus. That's the only reason anyone can come to know Jesus. It's because someone else has told you the story, whether it was parents or whether it was a pastor or Sunday school teachers or a friend or even someone on TV or you read a book or whatever. But this gospel, this invitation is something that is shared. And we are here because somebody shared it with us. And as somebody shared it with us, we got to check off yes and enter into that celebration. We got to where God said, I invite you to come and be in my family. I invite you to come have your sins forgiven. I invite you to come to eternity with me. We said, that sounds amazing. I will receive the gift of God that is involved in that invitation. And as we have received that gift, it's now our job to share that gift. It is now our job where we were invited by God and by others to the table of God that we now need to invite other people to the party as well. It's our job to be an inviting people. And there are people in your life right now who have never been invited. They don't know that there's a banquet. They don't know that there's a celebration. They don't know that there's forgiveness. And maybe they knew and they've wandered away or they know and they've said no in the past, but there are people in your life who aren't at the table yet. And as you were invited to the table, you need to be an inviting presence in other people's lives as well because someone needs to invite them. The king wants his house full. Now, we don't have any control over what they do with that invitation. And what's more, uh, we don't have to. Because we talked about, in the first service, Billy Graham, one of his great lines that's been everywhere these days because uh, he passed away a couple of weeks ago. It's been all over social media. But Billy Graham famously said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. It's my job to love. So in other words, I don't need to convince anybody that they're a sinner. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I don't need to convince anybody about the truth of the gospel or about the the judgment to come or heaven and hell. I don't have to convince anybody of that. That is entirely God's job. My job is just to let them know there's an invitation on the table for you. There is an invitation into a relationship with God. And whether they check yes or no is completely out of my hands. That's a work of God in their hearts and in their minds. But my job is just to share the invitation, to pray like crazy, of course, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to do the rest. So let's take the pressure off ourselves that we need to win anybody to Jesus. That is entirely a work of God. However, our job is to share the story. There's a famous quote that gets attributed to Francis of Assisi where he said, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Anybody heard that one before? It gets shared as memes on Facebook and stuff. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. And I think a lot of us heard that and went, oh good, I don't have to talk to anybody. I can just live a good life and they'll pick it up along the way. And and what he was getting at when he said that, we're not sure if he actually said that, but whoever said that, it sounds really wise, and there's truth to it in the sense that I can't say with my mouth, Jesus, 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 and then live a life completely devoid of any fruit or, or connection to him, right? I can't be a hypocrite. And so I need my life and my words to line up together. When he says, if necessary, use words, it is necessary to use words sometimes, Paul says in Romans, how can they respond to the gospel if they've never heard it? 
And how can they hear it unless someone speaks it, right? You do need words uh, at times. And it's just don't divorce the way you live your life from your words is the point of that quote. But it's not our job to convince anybody. And so uh, where we were invited, the, the challenge today is where are you inviting? And sometimes, you know, I, I talk to pastors and I, I read a lot because I'm in school. And uh, when it comes to evangelism, that's the one thing that almost everybody says, I wish I could do better. Like when there's surveys of, hey, rank how your spiritual disciplines are going or, or your walk with God. Almost everybody says, I wish I could do better in the area of evangelism. I may be doing okay on the Bible side and I'm involved in a group, but, but evangelism is something that needs work. And so that's nothing that probably most people in the room can't understand. But again, all we have to do is give the invitation, and it's up to God to do the rest. And so what does an invitation look like? Even as we're talking today, and, and names are coming to mind, people and faces of people you know who aren't sitting at the table, what does the next step of an invitation look like for them? Is it an invitation to coffee, where you share a little bit with them? Is it an invitation for you to share your testimony, which is an awesome way to demonstrate, here's how great this banquet is that we're talking about? Is it an invitation to church? If you're not sure what to say, I talk for a living. Just bring them here. Is it an invitation to your life group or, or to hang out even, just socially with some of your Christian friends? What does an invitation look like for some of the people in your life who aren't sitting at the table yet but need to be there according to the heart of God? The call's gone out for everybody. And so how are we inviting people to join in with us in this life? Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca, and uh, if you do have any questions or comments or thoughts or anything, uh, please make use of it. Uh, sometimes I've heard people say, I don't want to bug you, uh, but it's fun for me to talk about this stuff. So please take advantage, and I'd love to grab coffee or whatever uh, if you want to talk about theology or the Bible or anything else. So we were all invited to this great wedding banquet, to this great celebration with God. We were all invited. Many of us here have responded. Uh, and if you haven't responded, then, then you know, wrestle through this with us. Don't just make excuses, but, but let's wrestle through this together. We've all been invited, and we are all also called to invite others. We were invited and we responded. Now we are the inviters to others. And how can we refuse that? where, you know, as we've gone through this series, uh, this has been kind of fresh for me, even as though I was already prepared for this a few months ago. Uh, you know, I'm learning things as we go. And one of the things that's so clear is often the reaction that these parables are calling us to are simply a reaction to exactly what Jesus has done for us. So we are called to be a loving people because he loved us first. We are called to live sacrificially because he sacrificed for us first. We are called to forgive because he forgave us first. We are called to be welcoming because he welcomed us first. And we are called to be an inviting people because he invited us to come and sit at his table for all eternity for free. And there are people in our lives who just need to hear that, what the Bible calls good news, that there's an invitation for you. What you do with it is up to you, but there is an invitation available and our job is to make that clear. 
we sang a song. It was the first time we did it today earlier, Raised to Life uh, from Elevation Church. And uh, it's just a great picture of, of the gospel, that the price was paid for us, uh, our sin was great, but Jesus was greater, that we have been invited in. And so we're going to do it one more time, just uh, partly so you can learn it and partly just so we can respond to this with worship. So would you stand to your feet, please? And we'll close off in just a few minutes. As we wrap up the service, just want to remind you that we have folks available to pray with people after service. They have lanyards on. They'll be identified with their, who they are, the prayer team. We encourage you to come forward. And if something is happening in your heart this morning and you need to respond to that, a great way to do that is through prayer. So as people come forward to get prayer, we encourage you to visit with one another out in the foyer, down the hallway, so we can create an atmosphere where people can come forward and get ministered to. And as we wrap up today as well, as we think about this invitation, and this idea of who are we inviting to church? Who are we inviting to hear our story? Who are we inviting over for dinner to talk about life? And sometimes in our lives, we can be the no for other people. Well, I don't wanna ask so-and-so because they'll say no, they're too busy. We don't have a clue, do we? That's why we gotta just do the ask. And what's amazing about evangelism and this idea is that we're off the hook in many ways. The Holy Spirit does all the work. We just gotta share the story of who Jesus is in our life. And if we think Jesus is who we say he is in our life, that should just be contagious in who we are. And we shouldn't be holding back. We should be shouting it from the mountaintops. We got excited about, about spring coming, that's great. But let's get excited about the Savior because he is good news. And there's people in your life, and there might be people here this morning that need Jesus. And if you've come here this morning and you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, the Bible simply says this, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And if that is a cry of your heart this morning, I pray you'd come up to share that with somebody. And for folks that call ourselves Christ followers, as you go into this week, here's something practical to do. Write down a few names, two or three names of people you can pray through, pray with, pray for, and see where the invitation could happen in those people in your life. And take a bold step and step out. There's an old saying, how do you start revival? You draw a circle on yourself and you step out. So let's not be afraid, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the boldness that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and I pray we live that way. We not be afraid to invite because we're inviting people to you. That Jesus, you are our savior and I pray Lord that would overflow in our life and we wanna give it away to other people. Not just keep it for ourselves, not just keep it as a church, but God, we give away the hope that comes with you. Thank you. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name now that you would open up doors to invitation this week, that you would step out boldly in front of us already. And when you put something in front of us this week to an invitation to church or a life group or to hear a story about faith or to pray with somebody, I pray, God, that we walk through that door this week with no shame, no guilt, no shackles, but with the grace and the mercy and the power that comes in Jesus' name. So, Lord, we pray for a great week. Give us opportunities to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday.